Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. It is 1.19 a.m. on Sunday mornings or Sunday night slash Monday morning. And we had another really great day at church today. Uh, if you were there, thank you so much. If you listened online, sorry, the uh, picture was crappy. I had a cable break, so we had to just use the computer camera. Uh, but at least the audio worked, so that's nice. And if you're just now listening for the first time to the podcast, thank you so much. It's super, it's super cool to see that we've got a little audience uh, via podcast, and uh, it just means so much that you would be interested in what we're up to. A couple quick announcements. Uh, number one, we have an outing coming up soon. On December 11th, we are going to see West Side Story. If you want to be a part of that, go to diff.church and click on the events tab. Uh, there may not be an event up for it right this second. Um, so if there's not, maybe just shoot us an email to hello at diffchurch.com. But if there is, from there, you can just click on the button and sign up to see West Side Story. That should be really cool. Also, for the next two Sundays, uh, we are going to be collecting toys. Uh, there's an organization in St. Pete called Reach, and we have done some work with them in the past and donated to them. And they're a really cool local organization, and they are collecting toys for Christmas. So bring in unwrapped toys, uh, anything you got, we're collecting uh, at church on Sunday. Uh, so bring that in, and that would be awesome. Uh, okay, let us head towards the service here. Uh, Hannah is back. We are super excited to have her. Uh, we had a really great uh, service today. Guiana shared an original song that was really nice. Um, and of course, if you remember last week, we had a guest speaker, one of our very own, uh, Isaac. We were super happy, and he did such an awesome job. Um, if you were here last week, did not Isaac do such a good job? I'm not saying this to make you feel like nervous or pointed out, but I would listen to the podcast on Wednesday morning. That's how I heard Isaac's sermon because we rented like a cheap Airbnb place in Orlando to get away. And it's not what I would call relaxing because we took a baby. <laughs> but we made some good memories. One of them being she refused to sleep. Um, <laughs> and she finally fell asleep the first night at like 4 a.m. after being up for quite a while, flat on my chest, like just with her head like wedged under my chin, holding my nose. That is the only way she would be calm enough to sleep. So for a half an hour, I just laid there, breathing through my mouth. Um, because you know, kids are great. Have them, or don't, and then no one will hold your nose while you're sleeping. <laughs> but it was like really good to just chill. Like everything's been kind of intense, I feel, this year. And then so Wednesday morning, I listened to Isaac's sermon, and I was like crying a lot. And um, I feel like you spoke like you were born to do this. You freaking crushed it, man. I'm so happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So today, our passage is from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of 1 Samuel. It is about a woman named Hannah, who I am named after. When I was little, I thought it was very cool to walk around and be like, I am a person in the Bible named after me. Um, I thought that was very important for me to tell everyone. But we have like lots of Hannah today. Like I'm Hannah. Hannah was singing, we're talking about Hannah. It's like the trifecta of Hannah's. So I'm gonna read the passage to you. You can kind of follow along if you can see it. Otherwise, just listen to me talk. <laughs> uh, we're gonna pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 through 20. It says this. 
On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, even though the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord kept her from having children. And year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time she would be reduced to tears, would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah, Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? Smart, this guy. <laughs> Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look on my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life. And as a sign he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she'd been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. Side note. Punctuation was not originally in the Bible, so this comma was added, okay? And it says, oh no, comma, sir, which makes us read it like this. I like to put the comma after the O. So it says, oh, no, sir. <laughs> Next time you read it, be like, oh no, sir. <laughs> I have not been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman. I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your request. Oh, thank you, she exclaimed. Then she went back and ate again, and she was no longer sad. And the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more, and they returned home to Ramah. And while Kana slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time, she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Have any of you guys heard this story preached before? Yeah, okay, it was pretty popular. Me too, also. Um... I think it's beautiful and heartbreaking. And it's like a messy tangle of relationships. So Elkanah has two wives. One of his wives, Penina, I actually have no idea if that's how you pronounce that because I didn't look it up. Um, but I will tell you that whenever I see her name, my brain goes, Panini! <laughs> Which I can't help. So um, Panini, apparently, is a very fertile woman. She has lots of kids. Hannah has no kids. This is hard on two levels. On one level, she really wants a baby. On another level, in her patriarchal culture, her only unique ability was childbearing. So to be able to, unable to conceive caused her like really great stress. And to make matters worse, Panini is bullying her about it. Bullying her about it. She taunts her and picks at her and just like rubs it in her face that she can't have kids. Elkanah does not seem to be much help, even though it said he loves Hannah. He loves her. Doesn't seem to care that his other wife is apparently like reducing Hannah to tears on a regular basis. He also does not have the most tact. They go to Shiloh annually. That's like before the temple was built in Jerusalem. They had a tabernacle, which is kind of like a tent, a fancy tent, in this place called Shiloh. So they would go there. They make their sacrifices every year. And every year, Penina picks on Hannah and makes her cry. She's so upset, she can't even eat. And this guy, brilliant person that he is, says, why are you crying? Why are you sad? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? 
this is just a tip, <laughs> but if you're in a relationship and your partner is like greatly upset about something, the answer is not, but you have me though. <laughs> um, one thing has nothing to do with the other, right? Like I'm sure she was glad to have him. That has nothing to do with the fact that she is very upset about not having kids. So let me see if I can give you some insight into what Hannah was experiencing here, because I've been there. Um, currently, just in the US, the statistics say that one in 10, one out of every 10 women, struggle with infertility, which is either the struggle to get pregnant or stay pregnant. Now, if children are not part of your journey, totally valid, by the way, like don't have them. <laughs> you, you do not need kids to be whole or to be complete or to have your best life, right? Or maybe kids are like far down the road for you and this is not right now for you. You may think that like, this is just a sad thing that's happening to her. Like it's sad, but it's not that big of a deal. This is what's really happening. I want you to imagine something like that you want more than anything else in your entire life. Anything else you more want, you've wanted it more than anything in the world. And then double it because hormones. <laughs> like it's bad enough that you can't have what you want and are likely working very hard to get. Then just add the injustice of being reminded monthly that you don't have it and that you can't have it. Now, for women, especially women who have struggled with fertility, like the relationship with our bodies gets very tenuous. And what I mean by this is like biologically, as a woman, having children is something I'm supposed to be able to know how to do. Like everything, like my inside parts, like my ovaries and my uterus are designed for a baby, right? My hips are wider so a baby can come out. My chest is designed to make food for a baby. Like everything seems like it's designed to make this perfect little machine to make a, a human. It's the one thing I'm supposed to be able to do. And it's the one thing I can't do, right? So we get very adversarial with our bodies. And then you get that monthly reminder of like, oh yeah, you still can't do it yet again. And I think that everyone can kind of sympathize with that struggle of like wanting something so desperately and also not getting it. But if you can empathize because you are there or have been there, like, please know, I see you. You're not alone. Um, and I also know that narratives like this and discussions like this can be really difficult because especially right, if you're a member of the LGBT plus community, especially if you are a trans person or an intersex person, because I'm talking about biological binaries that everyone doesn't fit into. Um, and like fertility processes for same-sex couples, incredibly expensive and difficult. So please know it's not my intention to cause any harm. Um, whatever your fertility journey looks like, it's equally valid. And it's equally painful when it's difficult to grow your family for any reason. And I just want to add as a side note that if you're currently in a place where fertility is a struggle for your family and you're considering options, but you're feeling like, oh, it's too much money, feeling very nervous about this, yeah, I know, it's dang expensive. <laughs> I get it. But what we do is we tend to add shame on top of this. And there is no shame whatsoever in going an expensive route to grow your family. 
whether that's IVF or surrogacy or adoption or any other avenue that presents itself to you, I don't think putting financial resources toward growing your family is ever the wrong thing to do. Even if it stretches your budget to the max, even if you have to ask for help from your family or your chosen family, it's not selfish. It's not too much. It's just getting support you need in an area that is precious to you. You deserve support. And I think this story is so important, not just because of who Hannah's eventual child is, but because she's actually one of many women in the Hebrew scriptures that struggle with fertility. And this is one of the things I like about the Bible. Like you can say, like there's all kinds of things we don't like about the Bible sometimes. Like it can be very intense. <laughs> it has been used to harm people, right? But it's also really honest. It does not try to gloss over this. It preserves their stories so that thousands of years later, we get to learn about a person who struggled with this. And the Lord visits these women in scripture that struggle with fertility, right? Their infertility marginalizes them and God does not forget them. And this is Hannah's struggle. And this year we find her in the text. She can't take it anymore. She leaves the banquet where her husband and his wife and all their billions of kids are just like laughing and happy and living their best life and she just cannot handle it. She goes to the tabernacle, just cries. She's so distraught, she's so upset. I just imagine her like with her arm, like this is what we do when we're sad, right? Like protect. We like wrap ourselves up and we do this, protect the neck. And she, I just imagine her rocking back and forth. And Eli, the men in this story don't seem to have much tact. He sees her and his automatic, he doesn't even, he's not like, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? He's like, how dare you come in here wasted? And she's like, oh no, sir. <laughs> okay. He doesn't even ask her what's wrong, why she's crying, why she's there alone instead of celebrating with her family. Jumps straight to judgment. Clearly, strong displays of emotion make him uncomfortable. Um, and she very quickly sets the record straight. She's not drunk. She's just mad at God. And Eli, I hope, felt ashamed of his response, but he eventually says, oh, go in peace. May the Lord grant your request. And then, of course, we know how the story ends, right? She does eventually become pregnant. She has a baby boy. She names him Samuel. He grows up. We have two books in the Bible named after him. He gets to anoint or select, essentially, two kings, the first two kings of Israel. He's an integral part of the Hebrew scriptures. He's the driving force behind the line of King David and whose line continues until we get to Jesus. Samuel's not the point. It's not about Eli's terrible response. It's about Hannah and her story and her struggle because I think she's more than just a flat character on a page. Like she embodies all these patriarchal assumptions about her worth, all the things that tell her she's not worthy, and her deep conviction that she is worthy to God. She is convinced that God actually cares about her. Her prayers are really sincere. She doesn't approach God with like this formal petition. She comes with all her loneliness and her isolation and her despair and her anger, um, both at herself and at the other wife and at every, like she's just, mm. she doesn't even allow Eli to walk all over her. Like she speaks up for herself immediately against his really dumb accusation that she's drunk. And I have heard many sermons on Hannah because I was born in church, and some of them have made me a little bit ragey. Like, I have heard interpretations of this passage that she's like needy or dramatic or challenging. She's just exhausting. 
And I reject all of those. Big thumbs down. Why? Because she's struggling with something. The areas where we struggle do not mean that something is wrong with us. It simply means we need more support. I feel like I need to say this again. Like, I don't think we really get this. Because every time something is wrong, whether it's our body or our mind, something, we're just, we feel all this guilt and all this shame about it. And it actually doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It just means we're not getting the support that we need. And no one in her life was giving her the support she needed. Not her family, not her worshiping community, not even the pastor. But she doesn't let God off the hook. She shows up fully and honestly as her whole self with all her cultural baggage and broken dreams and her hope. And God is present to her. God's responsive and close by and full of compassion and empathy and new life, both for her body and her soul. And like, we know, okay, we know, her journey ends with the birth of a baby. Has a happy ending, right? No. I mean, yes, but kind of. <laughs> I think it's really easy to pigeonhole these type of narratives in the Bible to one of those just, you could, should have more faith speeches about how God will fix that eventually. Like, God, Hannah prayed, and God heard her, and she got pregnant, so God will eventually give us what we want too, Right? I can't guarantee that. I can't guarantee a happy ending. Like, I wish I could. I wish I had a magic wand and I could just take whatever you're struggling with and make it brand new and shiny, and you won't have to struggle with it anymore. But I know from personal experience that that's not the way life works. The only way out is through. The only way forward is to face the pain and the heartache and be honest about it with God and with each other so that we can all keep putting one foot in front of the other on this journey to healing that we're taking. Like, I can tell you that I prayed for months and months for a baby. And then I finally got pregnant, and it ended, like, violently a couple of weeks later. Like, I have no good memories about that situation. It was a long process of healing and honesty and anger, and honesty, and despair, and honesty. And Nova, who is like almost a year old now, which I'm definitely in my feelings about, she is my little Christmas rainbow baby. But she can't take away what happened before, right? Like for Hannah, I can promise you that her baby did not erase all of those years of painful waiting. We tend to, like, again, pigeonhole these stories into things like, oh, you have what you wanted now, so fixed. No. It didn't fix the situation. Samuel's arrival was a beautiful miracle. And she still had to live with all of the painful memories from before he was born. Like miracles and surprises and then pain and promises and all of these things are written into the history of who we are right now and who we are becoming. Y'all can come back up. Maybe Thanksgiving is a really difficult time for you. Like maybe you don't even feel a little bit thankful. Instead, you're feeling anger or grief or, or the ever-helpful guilt about not being thankful. <laughs> maybe your desire is to grow your family and it's not happening the way you envisioned. Maybe your desire is something different altogether. Maybe you thought you would be partnered by now. But instead, you're learning how whole and complete you are without a partner. 
Maybe you were partnered and you thought you would grow old together. But instead, you're learning how the ending of a relationship isn't the ending of you and your value. Maybe you thought you'd be in a different place with your career or with school. But instead, you're learning how to be present and live in this time, in this place, instead of seeking value only in the future. Maybe someone you love dearly has gone on through death, and you're still here, learning that grief is an expression of deep love. Maybe a former faith community has done great harm to you, and so to protect yourself, you had to leave. But you're still here, learning again that you're enough, and you're good inside, and you are of eternal worth. Maybe, a final maybe, <laughs> maybe your journey with God hasn't seemed like the shiny, perfect path that someone told you it would be. But you're still here, learning, just like Hannah, that God is present and responsive and close by and full of compassion and empathy and new life for your body and for your soul. For this journey with God, we are grateful. For our community together, we're thankful. I'm thankful. And for our future full of healing, we are hopeful. We have two more songs. So if you'd like to stand, um, I'll kind of let Guiana take it away. And then I'll come back and give you a benediction. It's coming
Turn them to me as art, Jesus. 